today. The message name is Two Lessons of Judgment. Two Lessons of Judgment. And in that portion I had Brother Neil read, we saw two remarkable events in our Lord's life. And both of them have lessons for we as believers. Both of them have lessons for we as believers. We who are resting and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're remarkable events. One may say, well, why are they remarkable? Well, they're both displays of the wrath and judgment of Almighty God. And yet, we will see in the first example, mercy. Mercy in there as well. And our Lord in his wrath and judgment never forgets mercy. Never forgets mercy for his people those who are in Christ. And judgment is, is God's strange work. Therefore, the, our Lord's work, his works primarily display the love, mercy, and the goodness of God towards sinners. And, uh, but judgment is truly as much of a work of God as the redemption that we have in Christ. Christ came to redeem his people, right? To save us from our sins. And where did the judgment of God do us fall? As I mentioned in Sunday school, it fell on Christ. It still must be satisfied, right? It has to be. And God's judgment is sure. Scripture declares, He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the owls wait for his law. And again, usually we see him displaying works of mercy and grace, our Savior, miracles of mercy. But here we see him displaying wrath and judgment. And always remember, our Lord never sinned. So the wrath is a righteous wrath, and the anger is a righteous anger. There's no sin in what our Lord does here. Now, when we get angry, we're full of sin, aren't we? All right? And so our anger gets the best of us sometimes, well, a lot of the times, doesn't it? I'm going to say some of the times. A lot of the times. But see, the Lord is perfect. And again, what he displays here is righteous anger, no sin. And in driving the money changers out of the temple... And in cursing the fruitless fig tree, the Lord shows his willingness and his power to execute judgment. Who will be the great judge at the great white judgment throne? It'll be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Every man, woman, and child will stand before the Lord, whoever lived. And God will separate the sheep from the goats, won't he? He will. And that will be Christ that we'll all be facing. We'll look at that later on, near the end of the message. That's, that's the good news for God's people. Oh, it's wonderful. But look at how, in the midst of wrath, our Lord remembers mercy. Look at verse 14 of Matthew 21, 14. In the midst of wrath, in the midst of righteous anger being displayed, mercy is there. Look what it says. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Mercy in the midst of wrath. Can we not say that's what happened to us? So many people perish out of this world with no knowledge of Christ, not being born again, and yet here we are, in the midst of that, we've received mercy. We've received mercy. J.C. Ryle says of, of these two passages here that both were exceedingly figurative and tip, typical. Beneath the surface of each lie lessons of solemn instruction. Solemn instruction for us. Let's look at the first event, which is the cleansing of the temple. We'll read verses 12 to 17. 
And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Right in the middle of this. Look at this. And he healed them. Oh, I love that. It's wonderful. Mercy amongst wrath. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were so displeased. And said unto them, Hearest thou what these say? Do you hear what these, these children are saying? That's what they're saying to him. Do you hear what they're saying? They're saying, Hosanna. They're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They're saying, You're the Messiah. Because remember, that's the title of the Messiah. We found that out last week, didn't we? Oh, my. And they're sore displeased. And then Jesus quotes scripture to them. And Jesus saith unto them, Ye, yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise? And he just leaves them. <laughs> I love how our Lord does it. He, he just says something and just walks away from them all. Because it says, and he left them. Think on that. He's not going to sit there and argue with them, is he? No. And he left them. And he went out into uh, the city into Bethany and he lodged there. And some say that Bethany there was he was going to, to lodge with Lazarus and his sisters. Let us consider who it is who's entering into the temple. This is no mere man entering into the temple, is it? This is the one who's entering into this temple is the very one who this temple is made to worship. He's Elohim in the flesh. He's the one who was a pillar of fire by night for the Israelites and a cloud by the day. He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord shall provide, isn't he? He's Jehovah Raphi, the Lord that healeth. This is who's entering into the temple. The very one who the temple is made to worship is entering in there. The very one who gave the law to Moses is now entering into the temple. King of kings and the Lord of lords. The very one who all those sacrifices that were done in that, that temple typified is walking right into that temple. God's Passover lamb. The one who was soon to give his life, right? Five days later, who was going to die on the cross. Is a substitute of God's people to redeem them from their sins is walking into the temple. And what, what does he find? What is the condition that he finds his father's temple in? Well, he walks in there and he finds them changing money and they're buying and selling in the temple. The temple's being disgraced by trading and buying the Jewish religion of this day is totally out of order. He sees merchants who've come with bullocks, sheep, goats, and pigeons and selling them right in the midst of the court of the temple. It's like the place that turned into a market, beloved. And the money changers there, what they did was they changed foreign currency into shekels, which was the offering to be offered in the temples. And they probably changed other money too. 
probably money from from the Israelites' currency to foreign currencies if someone was traveling. They were money changers. They didn't care. All they wanted to do is make a little money off of uh, off a of changing currency. Look at verse 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God. God incarnate in the flesh. The word made flesh enters into the temple of God. And he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. They'd made, this, they'd made his father's house a house of merchandise. And notice, there's no resistance there's no resistance, beloved. He entered into the place where, where he was to be worshipped. Where God was to be worshipped, right? And his holy righteous anger was aroused and he reacted in wrath. And again, this is righteous anger. There's no sin in it at all. Because he's perfect. See, people forget that God is a God of wrath as much as he's a God of mercy. God's a God of judgment as much as he's the God of all grace. God's the God of comfort. But he's also righteous. And his judgments are sure, aren't they? They're sure. Let's read verses 12 and 13 together. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. They made it, again, a place of merchandise. Dan of thieves, he's going to tell us here. And overthrew the tables of the money changers. you imagine he's going up there and they got coins all over and he's just flinging those tables up. And those coins are flying everywhere. But notice in the text there's no resistance to him. He's God. There's no resistance to him. Overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called, look at that, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. See here, God takes the place of worship very seriously, doesn't he? And again, the money changers didn't even, we, as far as we know, they didn't even attempt to pick up their money. They just took it off. And he scattered it, didn't he? There was no resistance to our great king. None at all. You know why? They knew he was right. Those Jews knew he was right. And they knew he was right. Because all that was, be done, was being done there by those folks was all for gain. And it was being done in the very temple of God. They dishonored the temple of God, didn't they? And then his words rang in their ears as he quoted Messiah, my house... Uh, quoted Isaiah, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And this is a striking type of what he will do when he comes again. He will purify his visible church, beloved, just as he purified the temple. He will cleanse it from everything that defiles and works iniquity, especially those rich preachers who have told God's people that if they give, they receive back triple fold. They ain't getting away with nothing, beloved. Those religious hucksters aren't getting away with nothing. They don't preach the gospel of God's grace. They don't preach salvation in Christ alone. All they want to do is have people line their pockets. But I'll tell you, judgment day is coming for them. It's coming. They're not going to escape. God will cleanse, cleanse the church. 
He'll purify his visible, visible church as he purified the temple. He'll cleanse it from everything that defiles and works iniquity. My. Think of how many preachers are lying on God today. Think of how many preachers out there saying, God's done all he can do, now the rest is up to you. That's nothing but a lie from the pit of hell. I'll tell you what. When Christ saved his people, he saved them by the shedding of his precious blood. And God will get every one of his sheep. We're proof of that, aren't we? We were resisting the Lord, weren't we, when he found us. We were running from the Lord when he found us. He made us willing in the day of his power, praise his mighty name. He regenerated us. We're born again by the power of his spirit, aren't we? The Holy Spirit of God. He made us willing. We weren't willing before. I wasn't willing before the Lord saved me. And I'm sure it's the same for you. But I thank God he made me willing. Because I never would have come to him if he didn't make me willing. And I know it's the same for you as God's people. That's why we just marvel at the grace of God. And our Lord will not allow any worshiper of money. These, these, these money changers were worshippers of money. Or lovers of gain. No, he cleansed them, didn't he? And, and these are three things that earthly riches can never do. You know three things that earthly riches could never do? Now, I know we need money. We need money to survive. And the Lord provides it, and we're thankful, aren't we? Some are rich, some are poor, some are in between, right? But we seek as believers to glorify God in the things that we have, don't we? But here's three things that earthly riches can never do. You know the first thing it can never do? It can't, survive, it can't, it can't satisfy divine justice. Money cannot satisfy divine justice. God's justice just can't. Lord don't need anything, does he? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, for what shall profit a man if she gain the whole world, be as rich as Bill Gates, but lose his own soul. And then the scripture says, and what shall you give in exchange for your soul? There's nothing we can give in exchange for our soul, right? No, we can't buy our way into heaven. There's nothing we can do or say or, or, or work that would satisfy God. So money can't satisfy the justice of God. And also, earthly riches can never pacify divine wrath. Again, he has everything. And lastly, earthly riches can never quiet a guilty conscience. You know what? You know what? You know what quiets a guilty conscience? The blood of Jesus Christ. It quiets a guilty conscience, doesn't it? Money can't quiet a guilt. Earthly riches can't, can't silence a guilty conscience. But I'll tell you what, the blood of Christ can. It can silence. It, Tim James would say, it gags the conscience. The blood of Christ gags the conscience. <laughs> can't say anything. Oh, my. It's wonderful. Forget all trespasses and sins. So even the ones we remember in our minds and we, we, we pray that the Lord will forgive us even though we're forgiven, gagged. Bought and paid for by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to judge ourselves, aren't we? We are to make our election and calling sure, aren't we? Search ourselves. Am I trusting Christ? Is he my all in all? Am I, do I have a pinprick of my own works in there? Or am I wholly trusting in Christ alone? That's what it means to make your election and calling sure, just to examine yourself. Examine yourself, the scripture says, if you're, see if you're in the faith, right? Is the faith that I have, does it make Christ the sole object? Is he my everything? And I know our, our faith is like this. I know that. 
because we're, we're feeble. Our faith is feeble. But remember, he is strong. He doesn't change. He doesn't change, beloved. I was talking to Gary Shepherd this week. Had a wonderful talk with Brother Gary. And he was bringing three things up about the Lord that, that or two things about the Lord that, that his holiness never changes. Never. He's holy. And then the fact that he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His immutability. So if that's true, which it is, right? That means his love for us doesn't change, does it? It's not based upon us. That means that his love for us is in Christ, right? And that means if, if our, the judgment due us fell on Christ, which it did, because God's unchanging, it'll never fall on us. See, he's holy, right? His holiness has to be upheld, right? But his image, immutability gives us such security, beloved. Because we change all the time. He never changes. Remember he says, thou art mine in the scriptures? <laughs> That'll never change for God's people. Oh, it's wonderful. I just get so excited about this stuff. Oh, my. It's wonderful. Malachi says this, But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. So the Lord will cast out the worldly professor. There's two types of people in churches. There's, there's possessors, as A.W. Pink used to say. There's possessors, people who, who have been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And there's professors, people who haven't been born of the Holy Spirit of God but, but claim to be Christians. And the Lord will cast out the worldly professor of religion. That's what he's doing with the temple folks. Oh, they had a form of godliness, right? But denied the power thereof, didn't they? They were defiling the Lord's temple. My, oh, my. But again, look at the mercy that's shown. Look at verse 4. I just love this. Look at the verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Mercy amidst judgment. Oh, how the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ is brought forth in the midst of judgment. Mercy showing as the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. My. Is that not how we are in our natural state? Are we not blind to the spiritual things of God? And are we not lame from a fall? fallen Adam oh my that's a picture of God's people isn't it and what's it say he healed them he healed them we're sinners by birth nature and choice and although we're still sinners after the Lord saves us we're safe sinners now aren't we Lord's healed us hasn't he given us eyes to see Christ Oh, it's ever the character of our God that in wrath he remembers mercy. The blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. That's our king. That's our king. Do not imagine that our Savior is not merciful because he is just and true. Beloved of God, listeners of this message, hear this. God has no tolerance, no tolerance for a religious con man. He has no tolerance for hucksters. But I'll tell you what, he is full of compassion, full of compassion to poor, needy sinners. He's full of compassion to poor, needy sinners. And never did anyone come to him for mercy while he walked on this earth who did not obtain the mercy sought. And you know what? He's not changed, has he? All who come to him for mercy shall receive it. All who come to Christ for mercy shall receive it. 
in the place of mercy, still the temple of God, the divinely appointed place of worship, the church and house of God, and marvel at the fact that, that we once came into God's house blind and lame and helpless. And there, under the preaching of the gospel, the Lord healed us, didn't he? He healed us. Born again by the Holy Spirit of God, granted faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, when I was given hearing ears and seeing eyes to look to Christ, and I know that I was a, I, I found out real quick that I was a poor, helpless sinner. Was it so for you? I found out I was in desperate need of Christ. I was a religious man. And I found out, oh, all that religion I had couldn't help me at all. And then mercy was showing. Heard the words of grace in the preaching of the gospel. Born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And I'll praise him for the rest of my life now. And then I get to praise him in glory. So shall you who are God's people. Isn't that wonderful? Undeserving, aren't we? Absolutely undeserving. And if, if one wants mercy, seek mercy in the only place where mercy is found. And the only place where that mercy is found is in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nowhere else. The mercy of God is not found anywhere else but in Christ. But in Christ and him alone. Now notice how the religious hypocrites in verse 15, notice how they react. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. That's how religious people act. That's how they act. And, and the depths of depravity that's shown here, I was thinking about that as I, as I was reading that section. I was thinking, all oh, the depths of depravity that... That's shown here. But you know what came into mind right after that? Don't forget the rock you were hewing from, Wayne. That came in my mind right after I read, right after I thought, oh, this is depths of depravity here. And right away, don't forget where you came from, Wayne. You're hewing from the same rock as all of them. You know why? Because we're all our sons and daughters of Adam. We all come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. And I'm just a saved sinner right now. And I praise God for his mercy and grace. So never forget the rock you were hewn from. We were just as depraved as these people in the text when we were dead in trespasses and sins. But they got upset, didn't they? They got upset at the wonderful things that were happening here. Notice that? They got upset. God in their midst, Christ had just healed blind people and lame people, which we saw in verse 14, and they were upset. And then they were even more displeased that the children crying in the temple were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. <laughs> Remember what we found out what that word means? Save me. So they're saying, save me, Messiah. <laughs> That's what they're saying in the Hebrew. Oh, my. And these religious hypocrites, they are bent out of shape, aren't they? They are upset. And look how our Lord answers them. Our king said, and said unto them, Hearest thou what thou, what these saith? And then he quotes Isaiah, and Jesus saith unto them, Ye, ha ye, ye have... Ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. And then he just leaves them. He just leaves them sitting there. <laughs> you imagine they were thinking about that for a while, weren't they? And you know something the Lord's done? I, I always notice this with, with our Lord's answers. He always brings scripture to the forefront. He answers the enemies, his enemies, because they hate him. They want to kill him. 
he answers his enemies with scripture. Even the devil, he answered the devil with scripture, didn't he? When he tempted them. See, that's how we should be too. Somebody comes up, just says something, answer him with scripture. There it is. I'm not going to debate. I told you guys, I'm done debating people now. I used to be, I used to love getting into debates and, and proving myself right. It was awful, awful. I don't debate anymore. I talk to the guys across the street, they ask me questions, I just give them scripture. Here you go. You know, either you're going to believe it or you're not, right? And that way, when you think about it, what you can say is, well, you claim to believe God, but you don't believe what his word says. And that's what Norm is. Norm actually helped me understand that more. Because when people are denying the things in the word of God, they're not, they're not denying what you say, they're denying what God says. That's, that's, that's a high crime, isn't it? It's a high crime. And I know we don't understand things sometimes and we're ignorant of things. We've all been there. I've told you how I reacted when I was an Armenian and someone told me about election. I got all bent out of shape and said, well, that's not fair. I didn't know anything then. But now I look at election as one of my favorite doctrines of the scripture. God chose me. I never would have chosen. But he chose me in eternity in Christ. That's just incredible. Something we're never going to get over, beloved. Now let's read the next section here. <clears throat> we'll read verses 18 to 22. It says, Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. When he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently, the fig tree withered away. And when his disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? He just, he just commanded it, and it withered right there before them. It shows you his power, doesn't it? He's God, beloved. Remember, the waves obeyed him, and the winds obey him. Everything obeys him. Look at that. My. And when his disciples saw it, they, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree wither away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this, which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believe, and ye shall receive. Now let's read here in verse 19. Our Lord comes, comes upon this fig tree. And let's read how our Lord's curse upon this fig tree. And let's see what we see in this verse. Look at verse 19. And when he saw the fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. So he comes to this fig tree. It's got all kinds of leaves. But there's absolutely no fruit. There's a lesson here for us, beloved. Oh, it looks, look, probably looked like a beautiful fig tree. But no fruit at all. Fruitless. It was, it was obviously vibrant and alive because the, the, the apostles said, look how quickly it withered at his command. And this is without par parallel in our Lord's ministry. The only occasion when he causes one of his creations to suffer in order to teach a spiritual lesson, a spiritual truth. That withered fig tree there preaches a sermon preaches a sermon, beloved. We need to hear. A sermon that we need to hear is that fig tree full of leaves but no fruit was a picture of Jewish religion when our Lord was on this earth. Oh, it had all the taperings, didn't it? As far as you look at it, it's a fig tree. It's got all kinds of leaves. It's beautiful. It's, it's, but there's no fruit at all on it. 
It had everything for an outward show, didn't it? Outwardly, it looked like any other fig tree. Full of leaves, but no fruit. And what a picture of the Jewish religion when our Lord was on this earth. It had all the taperings, didn't it? Traditions, ceremonies. Priests all decked out, the Pharisees. No grace, no faith, no love, no humility, no spirituality, no real holiness, no willingness to receive Christ as as Messiah. And also, like the fig tree, this religion was soon to wither away, wasn't it? Soon to be stripped of all its outward religion. And soon to have its members scattered all over. Because Jerusalem was to be destroyed. 70 AD it was. The temple was to be burned. The daily sacrifices were to be taken away. And never was a type so literally fulfilled. But we don't stop there, though. We don't stop there, though. This also has to do with us. As every fruitless branch of Christ's visible church is becoming a withered fig. Like the withered fig tree. Church profession without holiness, confidence in councils, bishops, masses, ceremonies, are the order of the day. Do this, do that, is the order of the day today, isn't it? That's the order of day in religion. What you must do, not what Christ has done. And the old harlot of Babylon still what all religious people love. Is it his leaves? Beautiful leaves. Outward show. Huge churches, all this glitter and glam. Bands up there playing away. Hundreds of people coming. All show, beloved. All show. They're like the fig tree with no fruit. How do we know this? Well, we're going to find out. You know, the Lord has a remnant. He's always had a people, right? He's always had a people. We don't know who they are, but he has a genuine church called the elect of God. And they worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They love him. And they bring forth unto him, but it's not of their own efforts. It's fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. If you try to make yourself fruitful, you're going to do this. Because remember what the scripture says? It's the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's the Holy Spirit working in us, conforming us to the image of Christ. When I was in religion, I was always, I have to be more joyful. Wayne, you've got to be more joyful, man. You have to be. Well, you know what? I just got more miserable. Because I kept falling on the face. You know, when I went to church and I heard the preacher say all this stuff and on, on Sunday morning just, just practically stapling my head to the carpet. By the time I left there, I felt worse than when I went in. Right? And then by, by Sunday night, no, no use waiting for Monday. By Sunday night, I'm like, oh, I already failed. So then you feel even worse. But when I found out about salvation in Christ alone, by the finished work of Christ alone, when God revealed his son to me, oh, what peace floods into the soul. It's no more about what we do. It's all about what Christ has done. And now we live a life hating sin, don't we? Because we love the Savior. And again, I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. How do we overcome sin? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of his testimony. 
That's how we overcome sin. Not in our own strength. So the born-again, blood-washed believer who's been humbled by God knows that God outside of Christ is unknown. We, we don't know God outside of Christ. We may have a God of our imagination who we cooked up. But it's not the God of the Bible. And God out of, outside of Christ is incomprehensible. And God outside of Christ is a wrathful God. God of judgment. God of judgment. And he's not accessible to the sinner unless they're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which is the wedding garment. We're going to look at that next week, Lord willing. The wedding garment, the wedding garment that we have on is the righteousness of Christ. You don't hardly even hear about that anymore outside of, outside of some churches. They don't even talk about the righteousness of Christ. Well, the only way we're going to be in the presence of God is the righteousness of Christ, isn't it? That's the only way. But see, people go about trying to establish their own righteousness, and they can't do it. And they think, well, I, if I'm a good person, surely God will weigh me in the scales of justice, and if I'm, if I'm my good outweighs my bad, it don't work that way. Because we're all bad. We're all sinners, aren't we? To the core. And the only way we can stand in the presence of the God is, is, is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And God puts that on us, beloved. Remember the father, when the, when the, when the son, the prodigal son, he said, bring, bring him the best robe. You know what the best robe is? The righteousness of Christ. That's the best robe. And it's the father who puts it on him. Who put that on us, beloved? Father put that on us. It's wonderful. Oh, it's absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Scripture says about the Israelites, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but, but fear. Some might say, well, what about individuals? What about individuals? That verse in Romans eleven twenty there spoke of the nation of Israel. And, but you know, every fruitless professor of religion, which are mere possessors, or professors. A.W. Pink used to say there's two people. There's professors and possessors. And a professor is like that fig tree, beloved. No fruit. Oh, they have all the taperings. They have all the taperings. You might have met some through the years. They have all the taperings. And they look. You think, yeah, surely. But they're just fruitless professors my it's it's I'll tell you what and so long as a man is content or a woman is content with the mere leaves of religion and there's billions of people that are content with that aren't isn't there not just Catholicism and all those other organized religions but idol worshipers and everything they're content with with the fig leaves of their religion and there's no fruit because they're all man-based, beloved. There's no fruit. And if a man or a woman is content with those mere leaves of religion, they're in a great danger. They're in a great danger. If a man or a woman is satisfied with going to church or receiving the Lord's table and being called a Christian, well, their heart is not changed and their sins are not for forgiven, well, they're daily provoking God to cut them off. And what happens to What happens after the Lord saves us? We forsake certain things, don't we? We don't want to do the things we used to do. And I know we're still sinners, but now the love of Christ constrains us from sin, doesn't it? We don't want to go out and do what we used to do. We're new creatures in Christ. Turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 29. And then put your finger in Matthew chapter 7. And then we'll go back to Matthew 25 after that. Here's the picture of a religious man or woman. 
Religious men or women are daily provoking God to cut them off without remedy. Proverbs 29, verse 1, it says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. My, oh, my. Harden his neck. Harden their heart against the gospel. That's what them Pharisees were doing, wasn't it? Harden themselves against Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is the only sure proof that we're savingly united to Christ. Leaves only is death. No fruit is death. Don't be mocked by the leaves of the world. Here's an illustration for us. A pigeon was very thirsty. A pigeon was flying. He was really thirsty. He saw a glass of water painted on the signboard. Right? Not realizing it was a pitcher, he flew into it in full speed and broke a wing. And then he was hit and killed by a bystander. And the leaves, the allurements of this world are many and bring ruin on many souls. We may call that pigeon silly, right? I can't tell you how many birds crashed into my mom's windows after she cleaned them, thinking they were going somewhere where they weren't going. Right? Pigeon was deceived by just a picture. Just a picture. But what will we say of those who run after false allurements of this world and false, false promises of workspace religion? They're just like that pigeon, aren't they? They're going to crash. And if God doesn't have mercy on them, they're going to perish. And they're going to perish in their sins. Now look at this here in Matthew chapter 7. Look at this. Here is the end of religious professors. Those who do not possess Christ, those who are not born again by the Holy Spirit of God, but they profess to be believers. Look at this, and, and look what the scripture says. Not every, verse 21, Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many, not a few, many, many religious people, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? You ever think of those word of faith people? Oh, just name it and claim it. No, it don't work that way, does it? Uh, false preachers? You know? Think of that. Many shall say unto me, Lord, Lord. And notice something that they're doing in the next few verses here. They're going to tell God what they did. See, God's people don't tell God what he did for us. Or don't tell God what we do for him. We tell people, we don't tell people what, what we do for God. We tell people what God's done for us. There's a big difference, isn't there? There's a huge difference. Look at this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not, look at, here we go, have we not prophesied in thy name and, and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Oh, we've done all these wonderful works. We had a, we had a huge session with thousands of people that came and, and, and rock bands and all this stuff and oh, we just said it was so glorious for you, Lord. Fig tree without fruit. Fig tree without fruit. Look what we've done. And who's the emphasis on? Them, right? Now note our Lord's response. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So the very things that they said they were doing for God was actually iniquity in the eyes of the Lord. And see that word new? In the Greek, that's gnoska. You've heard me mention this before. 
it has the it, it brings forth the intimacy between a husband and wife. He never knew them intimately. What did I mention this morning in Sunday school? He knows the very hairs of our head, doesn't he? He knows us intimately. He gnoskes us in the Greek. He never knew the now he knew them because he created them, but what he's saying is you're not my people. Even though they're claiming they did all these things in his name. He says, I didn't know you. And look at look at that charge. Ye that work iniquity. Works-based preachers that get up and say God's done all he can do or just walk this aisle and pray this prayer. Bow your head and do this. Do, 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 do. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Salvation's by grace alone. In Christ alone. There's no other hope. There's no other. Now let's turn to Matthew 25. When we look at that, we're going to get depressed if we see that. that that's, that's, a, that's a chilling portion of God's word right there. I'll tell you what. That's a that's a humbling portion of God's word. Now look at this. Now remember, now remember, as I said, they were they were proclaiming what they did, right? Oh, we did this. We prophesied in your name. We cast out devils. We done many wonderful works. We 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 did did did. Okay, look at this, Matthew twenty-five. We're going to look at verses thirty-one to forty. Look at this. <clears throat> when the Son of Man shall come in, in His glory. Now here's the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the final judge is Christ. God's given all judgment to the Son. He's going to execute all judgment. And we're going to have a little glimpse here. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. King of kings and Lord of lords. And those folks that said, I don't believe in him, they'd be trembling, aren't they? And before him shall be gathered all nations, every single person that ever lived, gathered before him. All nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from goats. And he shall set the sheep where? On his right hand, eh? On his right hand. Where is he right now? He's on the right hand of the Father, isn't he? He set all his sheep on the right hand. And then he sets all the goats on the left hand. Now, who's made them to differ? They're all humans, right? Who's the one who's making them to differ in those two groups? It's God, right? God's setting them on one side, and God's setting sheep on one side, and the goats on the other. Who makes us differ in this world? God, right? <laughs> oh, this is amazing. Look at this. This is just incredible. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them in his right hand, Come ye. Now look at this declaration. Oh, I just love this. Listen to every born-again, blood-washed saint of God is going to hear this declaration. Come. Ye blessed of my Father. This let's sit right there. Blessed of the Father. And here at the kingdom, look at this. Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Remember, he doesn't change, right? So if, if you're one of the ones that kingdom was set up for, right? You're going to be one of the ones there. It's all done before we were ever even around. Look at that. Now look at this. For I was hungry and you gave me meat. I want to preface this with one thing. Remember when we were looking at Paul's conversion? And the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Well, who was Paul persecuting? The body of Christ, right? So remember, he's the head and we're the body. When we're reading these things that he says you do, remember, we do it unto each other. Look at this. And we don't do it for reward. We just do it because we love God's people. For I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. 
Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? Now, now look at the opposite of the folks in Matthew chapter 7 we saw, right? Which said this. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and, and in thy name have, do, have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Proclaiming what they did, right? And look at, look at, look at the saints of God here. Then shall the righteous answer him, Lord, when saw we thee a hungry? When? I don't know what you're talking about. And fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink. When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Insomuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. What a difference. False religiousness professing what they've done for Christ and God's people saying, when did we do these things, Lord? He tells, he tells them, when you've done it unto the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. Because see, we're the body of Christ, aren't we? He's the head and we're the body. Oh, it's amazing. And again, now, who made these two groups differ? The sheep and the goats mentioned in Matthew 25, 33. Well, we know only the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the one who separated them, didn't he? You see, he knows who his sheep are. He knows whose vessels of honor and who are vessel of dishonor. But by nature, we're all sinners, aren't we? By nature, we're all deserving of God's wrath. We came into this world dead in trespasses and sins, just like anybody else. But little do we know, at our birth and as we grow older, when we're still dead in sins, that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us 2,000 years ago. I had no clue that the Lord died for me 2,000 years ago when I was a little tyke running around up in Canada. I had no idea. I had no idea in my teen years. I had no idea in my 20s. Lord saved me by his grace in my 30s. And I knew a little bit then. I still don't know very much, but I'm, I'm learning still. <laughs> right? That's, that we can all say that. But we're learning more and more how merciful our God is, aren't we? And when that time of love comes, the Lord Jesus Christ reveals himself to his people through the preaching of the word. That's why it's so important for us to preach the gospel of salvation in and through Christ alone. And we, by God-given faith, after we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God, we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? We willingly flee to him. He becomes our refuge, our city of refuge. He becomes our stronghold. He's our redeemer. He's our emancipator, isn't he? Because we were chained in sins. And he set us free, didn't he? Oh, my. And we find out quickly that we're poor, needy, helpless sinners. And what happens? We become shut up to Christ. We become shut up to him. We can't go anywhere else. My brother used to own Angus cows. And when he was going to do some work on them, he had them herded into this section I don't brother Neil might know what it is a section that they go into and the, the gate behind shuts and then you know they do whatever they need to do to them and that's how we are we get we get hemmed right up into that chute and right into there and, and into Christ we can't go anywhere else can't we when the Holy Spirit's drawn us to Christ we have nowhere else to go nowhere else to go And then we find out that the Lord Jesus Christ has fully and perfectly obtained eternal salvation for us by the shedding of his precious, precious blood. And that our salvation is not dependent upon what we do, but all dependent upon what Christ has done for us. And it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing to think that God can take a rebel by heart and mind and soul and turn him into a trophy 
or her into a trophy of his grace. And only God can do that. Only God. Think of that when we take communion. Only God can do that. He's the only one. He's the only one. And think of this too as we look there. God's perfect Passover lamb. He entered into that temple, didn't he? But he, on his mind, had what he had to do five days from then too, isn't it? He's going to be dying on that cross. Giving his life for we who are believers. And remember, it was his love for us that drove him to do that. And remember, it's immutable love. It doesn't change. So that love that drove him to, do, to go to Crowley's cross for us is how he feels about us still even today. Wonder of wonders. Christ died for sinners. Praise his mighty name. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for allowing us to be here. Allowing us to fellowship under thy word. We pray that we would take the things that we heard today and that we would think upon them and 